Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and mini skirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. In order to support this show and keep providing you tons of free content week after week, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash she and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better so that we can bring on advertisers that you won't want to skip through. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. But again, that's P-O-D com slash she. Thanks for your help. So putting baby to bed is the execution of a task. But before to get there, you have conceptualization, mm-hmm. planning, and then that last step is execution. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what ends up happening in relationships is that women and mothers offload the execution. So they say, here's the grocery list, go get the groceries. Mm-hmm. Here are all of the soccer items to get our guy off to mm-hmm. soccer. Here you go. This is where you have to show up. Or, you know, mm-hmm. here's the lunch. You make the lunch. You do drop off. That's all of the execution. Mm-hmm. But the way Brodsky frames this is she wants to know who knows each child's favorite flavor of mustard and how much of that level is in the fridge. Mm. Because that that is going to show you who holds that more invisible or the conceptualization and planning part mm-hmm. of, of each task. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Dr. Tracy, welcome to She. Hi, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me here. I have a little bit of a serendipitous story to tell you. Okay. That's okay to start out <laughs> yes, with. Yes, please. It's such a full circle experience to be here with you because when I first decided to start my Instagram space and start my own podcast, I was actually listening to you and your podcast. So I want to just pause and tell you how grateful I am for the work that you do and all that you share. Oh my gosh, how encouraging. I I came across your work and I was like, wow, I love what she's doing. And I would never would have known that you even like followed along or knew anything about what I was doing first. So I am flattered and honored and so thankful. It's so cool how like, you know, you put stuff out there and you just never know what can, you know, what people are listening to, how, how it's, you know, how they're developing and doing things. And then you get to connect and it's like, wow, this is such a cool full circle moment. So thank you for sharing that. That made my afternoon. (laughs) I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you are doing since we've mentioned that. Can you just share with the listeners, tell us a little of what you do, why you're passionate about it and kind of what led you to write this new book? I didn't sign up for this. Great title, by the way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, I think we can all sink into this experience of saying, I didn't sign up for this in our relationship. Mm-hmm. I am a psychologist and couples therapist here in Ottawa, Canada. And I've been sitting in front of individuals and couples for nearly two decades. And it's, it's such a powerful experience to be able to sit in front of people. And I started to feel this sense that what I was doing was so privileged in my office and I wanted to start reaching more people. Mm-hmm. So after the birth of my second child, I started my Instagram space. 
And then I just continued to evolve from there in the sense of creating online webinars and workshops so that the tools and skills that I teach people every day in my office are now more accessible to people all over the world. Because we know that when it comes to our relationships, nobody teaches us how to do this. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, we struggle in one of the hardest things that are the most important to us, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I think it's so important. And it's, I love the way that you do talk about it on your social media and just the way you put really helpful material out there. Like one of my favorite posts that you made was, why does my partner's mood impact me so much? Understanding these things, it's like, it would be so helpful if we could all like go into an office and talk about this for an hour, but even just getting a little bit of information to make sense of some things that we might be experiencing or struggling with at least can be like a short-term solution or a way to feel a little bit more supported and normal (laughs) and understood. Um, So the fact that you put things like this out there and and educational material, but also a lot of encouraging material, I think is so important. And now that it's in this book too, I think is just so powerful. So for those who are just jumping in, or for those who haven't heard of the book, I should say, I love the subtitle too. It says a couple's therapist shares real life stories of breaking patterns and finding joy in relationships. Like so good. So let's start digging into some of this because I think this is Uh just such a needed conversation. So I know your book is titled, I didn't sign up for this. What is the significance of that title? Where did that idea come from? Uh I found myself sitting in front of woman, man, couple, individual in my office, and they were all starting to say the same thing about their relationship. I didn't Mm -hmm. sign up for this. Mm -hmm. And I I even had one of those moments to check myself of, am I looking for this or are people actually saying this? And, And I think what's so real about our relationships is that we start in a certain place. And that that place of connection and ease in our relationship is there because, you know, relationships do tend to be easier at the start. And that makes us want to make that long-term commitment. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, over time, what ends up happening is that we we struggle to communicate what's really happening for us. Mm -hmm. Or then stressors and things that we didn't think were going to be part of our life end up showing up as part of our life. And we struggle. We start to struggle. And it feels really hard then to be able to support each other. So... I love how you kind of connect this back to my post and how helpful that is because what I wanted to do in this book was to let people know the very real struggles that everyday couples are having in their life. We we rarely talk about just how hard it is in our relationships. I mean, we're not we're not at the park with other parents saying, you know, my husband and I or my partner and I got into this big fight last night. Mm-hmm. And the goal of my book was to shed light and to remove the shame and stigma around what happens in our relationships, but also to give some really real, tangible tools that people can use. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Okay, so I know your goal for this book is to show couples how to have an interdependent relationship. Can you share what is interdependence and how is it different from independence and codependence? Yes. Okay. I love this question. So at the core of what I'm doing in this book is teaching you how to build that healthy interdependent relationship. So let's define first what codependency and independence look like. So I tend to see people swinging from one to the other. Codependency looks like the loss of self Mm -hmm. and the loss of I. So we stop sharing our feelings. We stop sharing our needs. We can say things like people end up starting to self-abandon. They start to self-sacrifice. And they do that in service of the relationship and the other person Mm -hmm. in an attempt to keep the other person happy. Mm -hmm. Or for example, another one is if your partner comes home in a bad mood, 
and you start to think their bad mood is about me. I did something wrong. I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to upset them even more. Mm-hmm. So we start to lose the self. And that's what codependency looks like. I often put my hands together and one hand on top of the other one. That's mm-hmm. codependency. But what I've noticed, Jordan, is what we are doing today is that we're swinging now into hyper-independence. And what this often sounds like in relationships is that's your feeling. I'm not responsible for it. You go and deal with that on your own. Mm -hmm. Or people will say things like, I'm not going to tell you how I'm feeling and what I need. I can rely on myself. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with either of those positions is that they're not balancing what we truly need in a relationship, which is we must hold both the autonomy and independent part of us Mm -hmm. with connection and Mm -hmm. intimacy. And so when we put those together, then that's where interdependence is. It means that this is how I like to say it. I say this in the book. It means I am me, you are you, and we are both okay. Mm -hmm. And essentially that's what interdependence means. Mm -hmm. Love it. That's such a helpful distinction because I think we hear these terms, especially we hear like codependence or independence all the time, but understanding what interdependence is helps so much with just making sense of a lot of that, I think. And and also like understanding like, okay, well, a lot of times we hear codependence being a bad thing or not a great thing. So it's like, well, then what's the alternative and what are, what are we aiming for here? You know? So I appreciate you explaining that. I want to circle back to what you touched on just briefly, that post about why your partner's mood can affect your own mood. Why does this happen? And what can we do to better handle our responses mm. in this, in these situations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I encourage people to ask themselves, what did my caregivers or early, um, my parents or earliest relationships teach me about emotions? Mm-hmm. Were, was there space for me to have my own feelings, to have my own needs? Mm-hmm. Were people responsive to it? Mm-hmm. Did people blame me for getting angry and upset about something? Mm-hmm. And we can start to look at some of those early on patterns around what we learn to do with our feelings and needs. And so this might also be the experience with a current partner then is how do I then feel when they're in a bad mood or what happens within myself? And so a lot of times what ends up happening is people end up personalizing their partner's mood. And again, that's that loss of differentiation. Now, we need differentiation Mm -hmm. to build interdependence. Mm -hmm. And so I'm using some fancy psych words, but what, what I want to emphasize is that differentiation is the ability, the ongoing ability to be aware of, to tune into, and to be able to communicate and make sense of our own thoughts, feelings, needs, values, wishes, and desires. And at the same time, to understand that our partner has their own sense of feelings, thoughts, wishes, Mm -hmm. and that what we need to practice is being able to communicate those back and forth. So when our partners come in, if we struggle with building interdependence, our partner comes in with a bad mood and it's it's like it comes right into us Mm -hmm. and we personalize it and we take it on to mean I did something, this is about me. And that personalization then leads us to get stuck in being able to separate self and other. Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. I really appreciate that. That's such a clear explanation. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like when it's explained, it makes so much sense. But I think sometimes when we're so emotionally in it, like when you can't like zoom out and see that, it's yeah. like so frustrating, you know? Right. Well, and Jordan, the thing that happens there is that, you know, well, 
think of being at home. If you're at home with the two kids and you've just had a really tough day and you're ready to just pass the kids off and mm-hmm. just take five minutes yourself, your partner comes in in a bad mood and you're like, well, whoa, like I've just had a day. What about me? And mm-hmm. right. So it, it's just so easy to get tangled into our own experiences. And for people who are listening, if you find yourself really feeling impacted by your partner's mood, one of the first things you can practice doing is reminding yourself, mm-hmm. this is not about you. Yeah. They yeah. are allowed to have their own thoughts and feelings. And unless they're telling you, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's okay to remind yourself that and, mm-hmm. and practice some of that depersonalization. Yeah. Yeah. That's super, super helpful and encouraging. Okay. One other thing I want to ask about is arguments. I know in your book, you talk about how the arguments that couples have are often not about what they're actually arguing about. Can you explain that and what's really going on when we argue or fight with our partners? Yes, absolutely. So commonly people come into my office saying we fought about the kids or the mm-hmm. dishes or finances, sex or in-laws. And I always like to normalize this for couples. I've heard, I've heard all the stories. I've heard the arguments over black socks, over <laughs> how to, I tell the story in the book around sausages, over how to boil water. There's all of these moments, right? And I call this the upstairs issues. Now, of course, we need to solve these problems and they're very real problems that we have to solve. But the challenge is that it can feel impossible to problem solve those issues when we are feeling disconnected and not safe and secure with our partner. So I I ask people, take what's happening in front of you, slow it down a little bit and almost imagine like you're taking an elevator down from the upstairs all the way down into your gut Mm -hmm. and asking yourself, what's really going on here Mm -hmm. for me? Because at our core, what's often happening between partners is the question of, am I important to you? Mm -hmm. Do you see me? Do you appreciate me? Do I matter to you? Mm -hmm. Or... Am I worthy? Am I enough for you? Mm -hmm. Am I lovable? Mm -hmm. So at the core of our fight, that is often what we're struggling with is is being able to have that part of our need filled up. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Wow. So helpful. Okay. So another question I have is about couples getting stuck in their relationship, having the same argument and kind of following the same habits or negative patterns of behavior. Just like, you know, I feel like a lot of couples know, like, this is our one issue that we always come back to or the one thing we always argue about. Everything kind of is like stemming back to this. What would you say is the first step to kind of get unstuck from some of those negative behavior patterns or Mm. like that repetitive argument that seems to keep happening? Yes. And I want to emphasize just how normal and common these arguments are. And for people who are curious, I have a quiz on my website if they're looking for more. It's not a diagnostic in any way. It's just for educational information. But for you to understand that all couples get into these cycles and patterns. And these patterns are tricky because they're Mm self-reinforcing and they start to become filled with negative affect and unmet needs and longings. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to sound like I blame you because you don't listen and you get so defensive where the other person says, I get so defensive because you're so angry and critical Mm -hmm. to me. And so those cycles, we end up going back and forth. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that you can do to get out of those cycles is to actually start naming it out loud and stopping it when it's happening between you and your partner. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that sounds like, oh, okay, wait, hang on. You know, we're starting to escalate here. Mm -hmm. Let's pause. Mm -hmm. 
you're important to me. This conversation is important to me. And I think we need to take a break in order to be able to come back and resolve this issue. Because the reality is when people are escalated, you're not going to be able to solve the conflict. Right. Yeah. So true. So helpful. And it's like such a simple step, but it's like one of those things where simple, not easy. It's like that can be so hard to do when you're in the heat of a moment or you're frustrated or your emotions are getting the best of you. But it's a very simple step that can really recenter and kind of get you back to where you need to be or get you back on track out of that, like that cycle or that, that behavior pattern. So that's so good. Okay, another right, thing I want right. to talk and, about. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you have Lauren, well, go share all the sorry. things. Tell us everything. Teach <laughs> no, us all. I, I want to. I want to add something in there. My my husband has often said this to me. He's like, "Okay, Tracy, you know, you tell everybody to pause. Like, what's that really about? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you want us to do that?" And I think it's so important for us to acknowledge that when we are entering into a disagreement with our partner, our nervous systems are actually heightening with us. They're becoming overwhelmed. They become dysregulated. We go into these states of fight or flight or we end up shutting down. And when we enter into that state, it's going to be really hard to be able to problem solve the issue at hand. So pausing is not anything fancy. It is the hardest thing to do, but it is about being able to acknowledge, okay, hang on. You know what? Right in this moment, I can feel my shoulders are up at my ears. I can feel my jaw is tensing. I'm just going to take a nice, low breath. I'm going to push my feet into the floor. I'm going to center myself here and then make the next choice. And if we could allow ourselves a little bit more space and time, then we're going to be able to maybe feel a bit more calm and regulated, Mm -hmm. maybe choose our words carefully, or maybe even choose to pause that conversation altogether. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Love that. Did you see? My new book, Embrace Your Almost, is officially out in the world, and I can't believe it's available to you anywhere books are sold. You can grab it from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. There's some special editions out there, too. Target has an exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million both have signed editions. And you can also get it at local independent bookstores. Anywhere books are sold, you should be able to find it. So if you are walking through a season of unmet expectations or disappointment or broken dreams or waiting or uncertainty, this book will bless your life. If you are not in one of those seasons, but you're just not entirely sure what's next for you, this book will bless your life. And if you have a loved one or a friend or a sister who's walking through a season like that, who's dealing with unmet expectations or broken dreams or uncertainty or waiting, this book will be such a great gift for her or something to pass on to her. So if that sounds like something you need or something a loved one in your life needs, grab a copy. Grab a copy from Amazon. Grab a copy from Barnes & Noble, from Target, from anywhere books are sold. I cannot wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to not only get this message in your hands, but also for you to pass on this message and share it because I believe it's more than a message. It's a movement. So as you listen, as you go about your day, I would love for you to put it in order, grab a copy and start reading as soon as it arrives at your door. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. 
One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, a luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. I'm like, these are incredible. <laughs> Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients. And it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Okay. So one of the thing I want to ask briefly about is I know that you cite research that says 67% of couples will experience marital dissatisfaction for the first three years after having a baby. And this is so fascinating to me, especially being a new mom and the first of those years yeah. being the hardest. So why does having a baby usually put so much strain on relationships? Right. Can I put you on the spot and ask you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Cause I can, I can share my, my experience uh, personally, but also what happens clinically. Okay. So oh, were you asking me? Like, was can, that your way of asking? I Sorry, I was like, wait, no, yeah, what's your I question? Ask you. <laughs> okay, I okay, I did you. not understand yeah, that. Your experience yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can briefly speak to that, but I don't know if I have like the world's most normal experience. So I will share my my thoughts. Yeah. So it's been interesting because so my husband and I struggled to have children for years, um, and then we became a parent, yeah. became parents to two under six months in the same year, one via adoption, one via, via biological, and. It was interesting because the way we became parents, our first son was adopted. And so therefore I wasn't necessarily like in postpartum and whatnot, but I was somewhat early in pregnancy when he was born, pretty early in pregnancy. And so, you know, we kind of had a unique situation where I didn't necessarily have all the recovery happening. So we kind of got to share in a lot of the responsibility a little bit more, not responsibility, but like in the night feeds and certain things that may not necessarily be the case if someone is postpartum and nursing and all of that, which I learned, you know, a few months later. So in that case, like, I feel like we had a little bit of a unique experience, but it brought up two things. One, I feel like in some ways we kind of had more fun, which I don't know is the case for every parent, but I think that's partly because we struggled so much to get to that season where like when both babies were screaming, mm -hmm. we were kind of like high-fiving and laughing sometimes, but there were other times where we'd be really frustrated at each other. Like, Hey, you said you were going to feed him and you didn't, or you said you were going to do this and you didn't. So, you know, it's like simultaneously there was like this newfound fun and joy, but then I almost would feel a guilt if I felt any frustration or resentment toward my husband for not doing something the way I thought he should do it or the way that I right. would have done it or in the timing I would have done it. And so th those are kind of the things where it's almost like a misalignment of expectations and learning that we parent differently on top of the fact that having one baby, you know, 
let alone two, is a major transition. So it's like you're almost learning your your person, at least for me. I felt like I was learning my husband and still am in a whole new role. Like he's not just a husband anymore. He's a father. So his time and his attention and all of these things are divided beyond just our relationship. And so while I don't feel like it's been negative by any means, there's been a different, like we've had to figure out like, how do we connect? Like sometimes at the end of the day, we're like, can we just hang out and lay here and be quiet for five minutes together? You know, because it can be harder to find that time. So that's what my experience has been. And I'm sure you have more to add to that, but that's just kind of my quick, like, you know, 60 second thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that you're, you're adding some of those key pieces is that one, you are both entering into new roles. And those roles are really taxing on us. Mm-hmm. They were, they, they're demanding. They also interrupt your sleep. They interrupt mm-hmm. your, right? It's like the, the role there is really different because before you had a lot of time and space mm-hmm. to be able to work through conflict or to be able to talk about some of these really hard yeah. things. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, also to entering parenthood in, in whichever way we enter it, nobody can prepare you for all of the experiences you're about to have, right? We can have as many conversations as possible, but at the end of the day, we just don't know how we're going to respond in such a new, huge role, Mm -hmm. which then you bring in the other piece, which is really about honoring our differences as parenting, Mm -hmm. as as parents, right? Mm -hmm. We are partners, we're doing this together, Mm -hmm. but together doesn't mean same. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think of so many of the new parents that I work with. First, mm-hmm. they've lost time and space, mm-hmm. time to themselves and their own identity, right? Because remember, I had said autonomy is a key part in a healthy relationship, but then also that ability to connect. Mm-hmm. And when we're caring for these little dependent beings, we lose that time to connect with each other. We lose the freedom to be able to choose when and how we do that. And then you're adding in all of these other layers of sleep deprivation, Mm -hmm. figuring out our roles. When one partner says, I don't know how to do this. Tell me how to do it. Or just tell me how to help. Right. We're talking about mental load pieces. And it's, I think when we look at that number at 67%, which I I believe it's probably higher Mm -hmm. a sample in a research study, but when we look at that number, it just goes to say how hard it is raising children and that we don't even have the training to prepare us to do this, right? I went to school for six years to get my PhD, to sit in front of people, to help them. And yet I didn't do any schooling to become mm-hmm. a parent, to be with my child every single day of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. It's like they, I, I, the way I've heard it described is like you're suddenly thrown into this like new job role that you've literally had no education for in an industry you've never worked in. You might've heard a lot about, but you're like, there isn't a whole lot of training on it, you know? So um, it's such a, yeah. such a steep learning curve on top of navigating that in like in tandem with your relationship. And yeah, it makes so much sense. But I think that's, even if any, even if anybody listening is like, yeah, this all makes sense. And I, like, I, I can, like it almost, I guess the best way I can say it is it kind of helps people maybe who are like, why am I struggling so hard in my relationship right now? Feel more normal. Cause I think it can be so easy to see our friends seemingly thriving in their relationship because maybe their kids are three, four and seven. And so therefore they have the ability to like get a babysitter and they've gotten through those first three years and they're right. going on date nights and it's like, how are they doing it? And it's like, well, you're six months into this and like in a huge transition and have a baby, you know, or it can be so easy to look on social media and feel like, oh my gosh, that family's just so happy. And look at how like in love they are. Why, what's wrong with us, right. you know? So to hear like, no, this is actually not only normal, but like 
kind of to be expected, even though you don't want to like set yourself up with this like negative expectation, like just to kind of be able to be aware of it, I think, and you can probably speak to this too, can help you be a little bit more ahead of it and even a little bit more proactive, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I think there are ways that we can prepare for it, but it's definitely an incredibly difficult role. And I, I think, I mean, if we think about all of the advice that parents are given before, they enter into the parenting role, Mm -hmm. that advice usually doesn't surround what it means to nurture your relationship. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book in the way I did. It's in story format. Mm -hmm. And I put my story in there because even as a couples therapist, I would, you know, have all of these tools and skills to teach my couples and Mm -hmm. my clients. And then I would go home and be in the thick of my own feelings of resentment, of managing the two kids, of managing my resentment, of Mm -hmm. trying to get all the things done. And a lot of people don't talk about it. We instead show the highlight reel Mm -hmm. on social media. Yeah. Yep. So true. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the mental load that can come with motherhood and parenting. Can you share an example of what this might look like and how this can affect a marriage? I know you briefly touched on this when we were talking about the last question, but I just want to dig into this idea of the mental load of motherhood. Right. So the the mental load, so we can talk about labor. There's visible and invisible labor. So there are different tasks that you're doing. Some are going to be seen like putting baby to bed and the invisible labor might be something like preparing the room, maybe it's not seen or, you know, preparing for nap time, things like that. But what's what's important to understand about the mental load is that this is all of the cognitive labor that's involved in completing tasks. Let's use the example of putting baby to bed. So when we think about putting baby to bed, the visible labor, the actual execution of this task is I'm going to swaddle up baby or however you choose to sleep and I'm holding baby and then that's bedtime. And yet the, the cognitive labor, though, is learning what sleep cues are, how, many, how much time has passed since the last nap, what's the rocking of choice or the book of choice or the feeding of choice, right? So there's all of this mental labor that's being done. And the challenge is that then this is often in heterosexual relationships, but mm-hmm. the male partner then comes over and says, how can I help? Mm -hmm. Just tell me what to do. So we know that for mothers, they tend to carry, well, first we know from the research that mothers work 90 hours a week and that's between paid and unpaid labor in the home. And they tend to carry the higher mental load and invisible and visible labor, not just with childcare, but also with the household labor, Mm -hmm. with the emotional and relational labor in the relationship. So then your partner comes along and says, should I do it this way? How can I help? Or they ask you all these questions about completing a task. Mm -hmm. And initially, this might feel like you're on the same team Mm -hmm. or it might feel okay. But then over time, as mothers become increasingly stressed with all the things on their to-do list, they become more burnt out or just in terms of evolving over time Mm -hmm. in parenthood, then they start to feel resentful, burnt out, overwhelmed because they are put in the CEO role Mm -hmm. in the family Mm -hmm. and their partner becomes the employee or the coworker rather than actually being a team together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So true. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so tough. Cause it's like the partner really does want to help. But sometimes when they're just like, you know, when the spouse or the husband is like, well, what can I do to help? It's almost like it's more mentally draining to be like, I don't know. Let me think about what I have to like, what, I, you know what I mean? Like right. versus kind of doing yes. that from the front end. Yeah. That's so true. Okay. This leads into my next right, question, absolutely. which is the unfair division of labor, or at least what is seen as unfair by one spouse or felt as unfair, you know, when it comes to marriages where there are a lot of parenting uh, responsibilities, but in any relationship, an unfair division of labor can happen and lead to resentment. So what can we do to address this and kind of get ahead of it? Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I highly recommend Eve Rotsky's work with Fair Play. She wrote a book called Fair Play. She also has a deck of cards that you can use in your relationship. And it's going to give you all of the tasks that you get to identify that's part of your family. And it has to come from the values within your family. So the reason why I like her system so much is because she highlights that each task isn't just about executing the task, Mm -hmm. but rather there are all of these parts beforehand. Mm -hmm. So putting baby to bed is the execution of a task. Mm -hmm. But before to get there, you have conceptualization, Mm -hmm. planning, and then that last step is execution. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what ends up happening in relationships is that women and mothers offload the execution. So they say, here's the grocery list, go get the groceries. Mm -hmm. Here are all of the soccer items to get our guy off to Mm -hmm. soccer. Here you go. This is where you have to show up. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. here's the lunch. You make the lunch. You do drop off. That's all of the execution. Mm -hmm. But the way Brodsky frames this is she wants to know who knows each child's favorite flavor of mustard and how much of that level is in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Because that... That is going to show you who holds that more invisible or the conceptualization and planning parts mm-hmm. of, of each task. Mm-hmm. So I think what's really important is that when we're trying to tackle the mental load, and this, this all depends on you and your family and what feels good and what's mm-hmm. workable. But one of the best things we can do is to ask our partners to start taking ownership mm-hmm. over a task. Mm-hmm. Here's how I've done it in, in my own marriage. Mm-hmm. So I have given school and daycare, so before daycare, now school, over to my husband, Mm -hmm. which means that he gets the emails, he gets the phone calls, he knows when spirit days are, he is responsible to go get the shirts for spirit days. Anytime I get an email from the school, obviously not if it's not, if it's urgent, but Mm -hmm. when I get an email from the school, I'm not going to open it and then text him and say, hey, did you do this? Don't forget to do that. Mm Because when I do that, I'm still putting myself in the management position. Mm. And that that leads me to continue to carry the mental load. So my job then is to step back and to trust that my partner is going to do this alongside with me. And, you know, this is so difficult for so many couples. And we really want to emphasize just how hard it is to make this change because there's a lot of narratives around this. One might be it has to be done a certain way. And I'm a control appreciator. Mm -hmm. I love knowing how things are going to work out. And sometimes we have to learn to step back a little bit to support our partners in growing into these different roles. Another one that I often hear from couples is where one partner says, well, I'm outside the home working all day and you're in the home, so I shouldn't have to do these things. Mm -hmm. And I always remind people that your partner is working outside of the home because what you're doing at home with the kids allows them to do that. And so then you both need to have a fair share Mm -hmm. and that's going to look different for everybody, but you need to have a fair share Mm -hmm. of how you're dividing those tasks at home. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Wow. What a good point. I think you're right. Cause a lot of people do kind of be like, well, they're working, so I can't, you know, but it's, 
there's such a management that that's not really helpful. Um, and maybe the, right. you know, maybe the amount or the the details of certain things vary in season, from season to season, depending on one's work schedule. But using that as a reason to not be involved or have to share any of the mental load is, I think, like you said, it almost just like fuels that resentment and doesn't make it sustainable long term. So that's good. Okay, we talk a lot about the concept of burnout in this show. And I think this is important, but in the context of relationships, because we don't normally talk about it in the context of relationships. So, so how can we identify and address stressors in our life in the in the marriage and the family and the home, so that they don't lead to this like strain on the relationship or burnout in the relationship to where we almost just like check out, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I want listeners today to consider that you are running one of the most important teams at home. You and your partner are so important to each other. And we know that what commonly happens is we put our relationship on the back burner. We don't check in with each other. We stop our daily rituals of connection. We don't talk to each other and turn towards each other about Mm -hmm. the really hard stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the best things that couples can do is to carve out 10 minutes together at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I know some people doing shift work, or work outside of the home that are they're not home in the regular schedule that might not be possible. So if it's not every day, aim for once a week. Have these check-in moments so that you can talk to each other about what's happening inside of you. Mm-hmm. Meaning, talk about what is the most stressful thing that's happening for you right now. How do you feel about our relationship right now? Do you, how can I continue to show you love this week? Or is there something more that you need from me? And mm-hmm. That conversation requires you to show up at the table, not against each other, like I talk about playing tennis, Mm -hmm. not playing against each other on the tennis court, but rather being on the same team playing doubles. Mm -hmm. That you see the ball coming at you and the problem is in front of you rather than you two fighting against each other. Mm -hmm. And when you have those check-ins, I think that allows you then to even talk ahead of time of how are things going inside of you? What's happening in the next week where we need to support Mm -hmm. each other and Mm -hmm. going to be giving what and and making sure that we hold a lot of curiosity Mm -hmm. in those conversations and not judgments or personalizations or accusations. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love that. Okay. Tracy, this has been so helpful, encouraging, informative. Like I just feel like I walk away feeling like I have so much of a better understanding and grasp of just some of the things that can happen relationally within your marriage, within your relationship, within your home, as your family grows, as you go through seasons of transition, and as you navigate, you know, stressors that life throws your way and how that can affect each other's moods and your arguments and the things that you that are that you're challenged by it on a daily or weekly or regular basis. So I really appreciate everything you've shared. I know our listeners are probably so blessed by this. So I would love if you can just kind of wrap us up by sharing where we can learn more from you and where we can get your new book. Yeah, absolutely. I'm most social on Instagram. So my favorite thing to ask is after listening to today, please come say hello to me. It's at Dr. Tracy D. And then my website is drtracyd.com. All of the book details are there. The book is called I Didn't Sign Up For This. And I have some great bonuses that come along with it just to help you deepen your work alongside reading the book. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such a joy to chat with you. Thank you so much, Jordan. And thank you to everyone who joined us. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was. 
so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content, and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less.